0: Hello, welcome back to a new episode of C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me, your host each week, where we have great, insightful, often vulnerable conversations with members of the C-Suite. Not always the CFO or the CEO, but people that have actually worked their way, earned their way into the C-Suite. And today, in fact, we do have the president and CEO of Mercer, Martine Ferland, joining us from her office in New York City. Martine, welcome to C-Suite Conversations.
1: Well, hello, Scott, and hello, everyone. I'm very pleased to be here with you today.
0: It's a delight to have you here. We like to actually have people from a variety of industries, backgrounds, nationalities join us. Martine, what we'd like to do, perhaps, is start with a little bit of what was your path to become the president and CEO of Mercer, and I'd love to kind of know some of your geographic background. Obviously, your accent is not Native American, but you obviously <laughs> live here. We'd love to know a little bit about your, your cultural background as well.
1: Yes, yeah, certainly. And uh, you, you guessed that right. I'm French-Canadian. Uh, that's, so the accent is French with a bit of an American English. Um, and you asked me about how I, my, my journey to being, becoming the CEO here. I've been 30 years in the industry, but I've actually never, ever set up to be a CEO. That was not uh, on my path or uh, on my to-do list, not at all. Um, you know, I, I loved school. I, I loved mathematics amongst uh, most, and I was blessed with parents and luck number one. I, I do believe it takes luck, talent, and attitude or behavior uh, to, to be successful. But luck number one, my parents um, never saw a difference between raising a boy or a girl. The potential and the possibilities were were there. There, there was uh, no limit. And and to the point where, um, you know, actually, it it wasn't until I actually joined the the marketplace, the workplace, uh, as a young actuary, that I realized there were such things as different expectations and maybe different experiences. Uh, So it it was kind of the aha moment for me. And I was in my early 20s by then, Um, even uh, despite, and you could say I'm not very street smart, um, that I was a of a handful of women in my actuarial uh, science class uh, at university. So, um, But nonetheless, um, in terms of, of journey, um, I was definitely this this time, and I thought I was, you know, professional consultant for life. But my, I guess my curiosity got in the way of that a little bit because I kept asking why, I kept being quite curious about my clients, loved it. The consulting industry, because you you work with so many different companies and different sectors, and I kept being curious about their businesses, my own business, my own company, uh, my fellow uh, colleagues, the people around me were doing different things than I was doing, and um, of course that's pivot number one where uh, you you you're, you you raise your hand, you you vocal about stuff, and there you go, you you you're given. Um, Opportunities a bit outside your swim lane for me I'm very early on in charge of campus recruiting, for example, uh, and um, that's kind of luck number two as well. Uh, after parents having really good bosses and having landed in a good good company, good culture. Uh, at the time I chose to to join that company, it was not on my radar. The my radar to to check for things like this uh, some thirty some years ago, but. Uh, I was lucky that way, and uh, they involved uh, young people in different ways, and I, I was able to touch many different things. And over the next 10 years, I, I got to take on more and more um, leadership or management roles. Um, and I had um, kid number one, and then kid number two, uh, and here comes you know pivot number two, really where. <laughs> Um, I was having fun both at home and in the workplace, but personality-wise, a little bit of a full-on kind of uh, mode, and there was something inside of me that was not just quite right uh, in balancing uh, the time between uh, work and, and and young kids. Um, and I'm not advocating uh, to say that everybody has uh, the same values Was my own value system, but uh, by the time I had my third uh, children, uh, my my third child, sorry, French coming through, uh, I was um, I decided to um, make a big shift, and I decided to do uh, freelancing. And my company had allowed me to try three days a week, four days a week, but there was something in me that um, needed a little bit more, and I said, "I'll be back in five years in the corporate world, which I loved." Um, and it was interesting because I was the first uh, consultant in my generation, of, like women to have uh, kids. Uh, we're talking a few years back. I think we've made some progress since then, in terms of having different role models. But I was kind of inventing my way through through all of this. But it's it's been uh, owning that decision and at being my own employer for five years. Just taught me lessons of business, uh, even though it was just the one girl shop uh, that I would never have uh, gotten otherwise. And it, it, it was uh, a really good pivot for me, a very good decision. I then came back, as I said, I would. Um, and, and from there on, uh, as soon as I reinserted uh, myself in the corporate world, uh, I went from more and more leadership roles to kind of pivot number three, I would say, uh, where I was offered to move to the U.S. for the first time to New York, uplifted three teenage uh, um, kids at the time, and they were happy teenage kids, so took a bit of a risk. But, um, you know, I'm an actuary, so I always look at um, plan B, what if this doesn't work, what's the worst that can happen, and how can we mitigate the risk? And therefore, we took the plunge as a family and never regretted it. Um I think that that I was in charge of a global consulting group at the time working with American companies, but their assets outside the U.S. And that's where I really, really learned um, the value of diversity, the diverse team that I was managing, the diversity of experiences and views they were bringing in and also the diversity of culture I was working across, which just I just saw the power of this and I've been um, a true believer since then of the performance and the value that can be driven by diverse teams. So I'm, I'm a big advocate of that nowadays in my role. And from there on, just fast forward, uh, you know, you open the door a crack and then it, it gets open very wide. I worked in Asia, I worked in Europe, um, and um, I basically said no the first time I was offered the CEO job here at Mercer. I was at Mercer already for about uh, eight years um, and then I was offered again and I said maybe. And then it took uh, t- three times the charm. And I did say yes uh, uh, the third time having, I realized you know that the reason I was saying no nos uh, twofold. One, I was not done. And, and this is very much very important for me that I, I really live in the present. I want to make a difference in, in, in the day. I want to have an impact. It's always been so much more important than any title. Am I making contribution? Am I having fun in the work that I'm doing? And um, and I was not done uh, when I was first asked. And then the second one is a one that maybe is a bit more personal, although very, very common, is I did all through my career, I had this imposter syndrome a little bit going on and it, it got better and better in terms of mastering that and controlling that emotion. Um, and, and uh, to the point of having seen my father was a brilliant engineer uh, you know really uh, good at what he was doing respected in his field but I could I, I had seen all my life that he had suffered from that as well not really believing in his talent and what he could could do and I saw how it held him back and just not taking risk or uh, going faster um, in, in some ways and it it kind of for me, was the pivot point to say, okay, um, I'm given this fantastic opportunity. It's a privilege in an industry I know really well. Let's let's plunge. Let's do it. Uh, and uh, here we go. Three years ends and uh, multiple multiple crises. So it's definitely been the baptism by uh, by fire as a CEO, like so many other leaders across the world in the last few years. Um, but that's. Uh, Hopefully, in not too long a time, uh, Scott, the, the journey to CEO
0: for me. No, I loved it. Thank you for the description. There's so much to unpack there. First, I love the fact that you used the word fun and actuarial in the same sentence. So <laughs> that's an insight into your personality. But I also think, whether it was, Martine, your intent or not, you beautifully gave voice permission to millions of working moms that are struggling with that You know, two steps forward, step one step back decision that many of them were forced upon, you know, in the last couple of years because of the pandemic. But you basically boil it down to, you know, know what your values are and don't give a darn what someone else thinks about them. Do what's right for you. And with the right network and the right connections and the right conviction, it will work out for you. Hopefully that is the case. But I like the fact that you reminded not just the men, but also the women that are working parents to decide what's right for you at that phase. What right? Maybe right now will be different a couple of years from now.
1: Absolutely, and it's a, it's a, it's a true belief in the sense that um, a few of my colleagues in Montreal at the time, this uh, my kids that all happened in Montreal, and honestly, some of my good friends there uh, had kids a little bit, a couple of, uh, of years after me, and they decided to stay full-time five days a week in the office for their full career, and they're no less happy today. Yeah. Uh, and I, I have good families and good, you know, good yeah. kids. Right. So it was their like it was their values were different or their needs, their needs, recognizing yeah. that need that you have. And honestly, Scott, uh, maybe it's the, the wisdom of my 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 age, but those years are so short. <laughs> Uh, in in a, a career that, for me, will is 40 years this year that I uh, that I left university. Um, this is just a, a short amount of time. When 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 some women ask me for advice in the in this way, first is about being true to your own value because there's nothing that change, that that can be more powerful than that to be successful. But the second is this will not last forever. There's a point where they'll be at school or they'll roll their eyes when they, when they speak to you and, and, and then they'll come back to you as if you've, you've created strong bonds. So, so this is, this is a, a peculiar time when they're so dependent on you. It, it doesn't last. Beautifully
0: said. What is right for you is right for you. Your values are your values and you quite frankly shouldn't care what other people think about them because their values may be different. Uh, Everybody is interested to know the path to the C-suite. You are uh, obviously the CEO of a large organization. Mercer is a well-known name in the Fortune 5000 and beyond C-suite because like Franklin Covey, for example, is a client of Mercer. And we draw upon you for your wisdom around a variety of things, benefit packages, retirement planning, compensation, workforce issues. Will you remind our viewing and listening audience kind of, in a short couple of sentences, what is the breadth of Mercer's uh, mission?
1: Yeah, and the breadth is the right question, Scott. I would say uh, we make a difference in people's lives. This is our purpose. This is what we wake up in the morning, always connecting out to the employees of the companies with whom we work and the impact we're having on their lives. And we're basically touching a wide array of, the aspect of work life, so whether it's your in the employees' engagement, the, their compensation, their health benefit, um, the um, you know the communication and how well they understand where the company is going and how well they can contribute to its success, um, and financial security at retirement. Um, so we that's the breadth of services, and and as you can see, it's it's all. We're everywhere in uh, the span of uh, working careers. Um, and it's exciting time to be in that field uh, at this time, um, in, in the
0: economy and the world. And Martine, your exact experience is less on the people, services, human resource side, more on the financial side. What was your actual education that led you into the actuarial expertise?
1: Yeah, well, that's it. I, I I did my university in actuarial sciences. And for those of you who know the actuarial body of um, of work, you have to go through many different exams. Uh, so you start working, you still write exams. A little bit like the accountants, but we basically have about 10 of those exams. Uh, and for me, I chose to be a pension actuary. So helping employers who offer pension benefits to their employees, manage those plans, having the right design that, and also being able to deliver on that promise that they uh, of the pen, that the pension uh, is giving to its members, so, so making sure there's enough fund, the fund are well invested, and will actually uh, perform their duty, um, manage the risk around those funds, uh, etc. So that that my training is much more financial and mathematics, uh, but as I said earlier, I I, I quickly branched out by being so curious about all the other elements of the business we were in and the business of our clients. Because at the end of the day, to be you know at Mercer, we have this breadth of services, but the number one job is to be a trusted advisor to yeah. our client, yeah. partner to the client. So understanding them first, and then looking inside to see how we could solve um, is, is, is is the way to, to really make a difference.
0: So well, I have to ask this question. Uh, how does a young girl, at college or high school decide you know what I'm passionate about actuarial tables this is really where my passion is how did how did that come about how was that nurtured or ignited how was that genius ignited in you at what age and what what professor what 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 role in life
1: yeah I, you know I of course I have many friends who are actuaries and we, we follow a similar path where we really love mathematics and uh, but the combination of mathematics and being pragmatic, so it's a very, very pragmatic application of mathematics in terms of financial value of money in time and assigning some probabilities of events happening and uh, what's the financial outcome of that event happening. And so, so that's the world of of the actuary. It's what I like about it. It's 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 looking forward. It's not looking backward. And it's, uh, it's full of probability and assumptions, so you really have, if you think about business leadership, for example, making having scenarios, and that was so helpful during the crisis because we didn't know where all of that was going. So being able to play out some scenarios with some probability of these scenarios happening and then what, uh, what to do with that, how to, how to react to that, um, uh, that's the kind of training, and I think most of us go to this through this lens of being good in math, but wanting to be very pragmatic about its application.
0: I'm gonna guess you have an 840 FICO score, a well-balanced 401k and long-term disability insurance.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Pretty close? i the worst. You know, <laughs> you know that shoe cobbler thing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the cobbler's kids have no shoes, yes. Uh, Martine, <laughs> talk a bit about For those who are listening, right, that are either in human resources, people development, talent development, perhaps they are a leader in their organization, all of us are well aware, maybe even ad nauseum aware of what is the great uh, resignation, the great reevaluation, the great comeuppance, you know, name it whatever it is. Now Mm -hmm. you hear all of these new reports around how there's the bounce back happening, right? People that perhaps realized the grass wasn't greener or they left for $10,000 more, but the culture was horrible. As the CEO of Mercer, you and your team look at all these factors. What would you prognosticate is kind of the continuation or the stoppage or the the future of what we know as the great resignation? What, What insight could you share with us in terms of what your forecasting capabilities show as the future of work looks like?
1: Yeah, it's an excellent question, and uh, we can only speculate at this point. But we're looking at—we're very much data-driven at Mercer, and we we gather insight by working with so many different corporates around the world. Um, you, you, I've called it the musical chairs to an extent, and I think there's segmentation within that great resignation. And I'll—I'll I'll point to three key ones. One was there's in, in the stats show there's um, older the older part of the population, and I'm not talking old here, I'm talking 55 and older, we've lost many workers in that category during the pandemic who, for whatever reason, rethought their life and said, I'm actually ready uh, for a different life. So th- that's a portion of the people that we lost. And then you have the white collar, we have were able to work from anywhere and, and really also rethought their lives. There's also a pent-up effect there because during 2020, we saw way less voluntary turnover across the board. And therefore, there was some pent-up effect once the economy picked up and people were mobile again, um, that some people were due to change, would have changed job uh, during that period, then changed job. But I would say in that population, that segment, you're talking about uh, musical chairs uh, and to your point about people people then realizing that maybe the extra 10k was not worth it um, uh, so so i think that aspect of it will calm down a little bit um coming coming up and then you have at uh, another segment in uh what we have called um you know the the, the, the people who had to work um, in, in not remotely, couldn't work remotely or at the lower end of, of the, the, the salary range. Um, there was some epiphany there as well in terms of, do I really want to continue in this line of work? Is it too precarious for me? If they were in the service industry or in the hospitality industry, for example, uh, you see a lot of people who have rethought their where they want to spend their time. Some have reskilled themselves, there were some industries that were really, really busy at that time in in, um, uh, in the pandemic. And you've seen people recycle themselves into different jobs. So there's some sectors that are empty. Uh, so these are, I, I think, the, the nuance across uh, the great resignation. Um, it, but some elements of it, uh, I'm convinced and we see it, we've been forecasting the war for talent, the scarcity of certain skills for for years now. And this is just now accelerated. The demographic in the Western world, and even in big countries like China, you're seeing aging really coming to the fore. And therefore, you have less people to service the population. And then, um, so that ends the war for talent, ends the lack of skills, and the lack of even just headcounts. Um, that the top, um, the the top issue right now for our clients is exactly that: is wage inflation and filling the 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 the, the velocity at which the, the lack of velocity actually at which they can fill those jobs. Martine, I had the privilege a
0: few weeks ago of interviewing Ariana Huffington, obviously the, the entrepreneur and you know expert on many different topics, and she kind of renamed this the Great Reevaluation, which I think is one of the smartest renamings. I've seen because my experience has been in my own business and at Franklin Covey is that I don't know anybody that hasn't reevaluated their values, what's important to them, whether it's compensation or health or family time or legacy or mission. To the extent Mercer has insight around that, what advice would you give leaders inside organizations that are responsible for retention, which is every leader, what advice would you give them around the new style of leadership that's required to make sure that people aren't falling into perhaps the ill-advised impulse of career hopping? For some, that's right, but for many, that's not right. What advice would you give to leaders in terms of making sure they're building a culture and a level of engagement where people don't make the mistake of job hopping?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely right. Um, actually, we have a study just out on it's it's focused on Black Americans and uh, trying to step up for equity and create the opportunities that um, that are more equitable and and, and fair across. But this, this we've demonstrated through data and uh, looking at people flows uh, in promoted and out mm-hmm. uh, that actually job hopping in the longer run for the individual uh, they will plateau quicker it's i mean the exception will probably make it uh but uh in general um this is not conducive to uh joining the c-suite uh, because of the net the value of creating network of understanding the culture and navigating yeah. it efficiently etc so I, I think i'm preaching that it converted to an extent but your point is around how do you counter that how do you retain um i, I think first of all um if you're talking about um, white-collar workers or knowledge workers, um, great experiences, you know, uh, how to make, a, make people feel like they belong, like they make a, a difference, like they understand the purpose and why they they put an extra effort, wanting to put the extra effort, understanding what's in it for the world, what's in it for them, making all these connections. And I, I truly believe that um, this that, that, that's why you're seeing um, such a, a movement towards openness and authenticity from leadership, because trusting uh, that people will are are willing to listen and understand uh, where a company is going, why they exist, um, and, and then being more engaged and more willing to, to 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 contribute to that understanding where we're trying to 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 go and what we're trying to achieve and what your role is in the, in the grand scheme of things. I think, I think that's, that's one of the key pivot that we're seeing in leadership style is this much more communication, much more listening also, so that we understand and meet people where they are. Um, clarity of vision and strategy. This is a big driver of, of, of loyalty and, and uh, engagement and success. Um, and then this, we were talking about this grand reevaluation. Um, this is all connected to it. Do I really want to be part of this story, part of this journey? Uh, but at the same time, making hybrid work. Um, so we've been experimenting 100% work from home, and you know, I'm I'm one of the ones to say we've learned to do things differently, and we need to keep these learnings going. And, and a lot of our clients right now, that's the conversation we're having with them, apart from the attrition and uh, and the wage inflation. It's also about this retention aspect, but through um, flexibility, but a flexibility that makes the enterprise and the people successful. Um, and therefore just really bring in all of these components together and making hybrid work. So really making use Good use of technology, but also blending this with the in-person that you need. You know, we look at studies that we've done in terms of what really engages and retains people, and you look at three fundamental core needs of human beings. Sense of achievement. You're making progress and and you you feel like you're making a difference. Camaraderie. So you feel accepted, you feel like you belong, you feel like um. Uh, it's fun to be around these people. And very, very often, you'll see people, uh, the reason why they leave is, um, is uh, oh, I'm not going anywhere, I'm not progressing. Um, you know, corneen number one. But leaving here, I'll be so sad to leave my colleagues. Corneen number two. And then three, uh, of course, um, sensing that it's equitable, sensing that you're being treated fairly, that you have the opportunity. So I think if, you, if you're able to nail these three, um, that's how you you've better chance of, of retaining clear purpose, um, clear um, empowerment of people so that they can really fulfill their ambition, uh, and bring their best self to work and their, their full potential. Um, I think bringing people to, in a hybrid form, you know, in the office a few days a week, so you can build those camaraderie back. I think that's part also of the issues of the grand resignation is this these bonds of being become a little bit more frail. I mean, you've you've not seen people for years. Uh, This culture uh, risk is is real. So you need to rebuild that fabric in a different way. Um, I truly believe that we'll be successful in a hybrid way. We've learned great ways to do this, but we need to keep at it. It's a a grand experiment.
0: Martina, I'm mindful of our time. I'd like to take it personal for a moment. I think you told me off camera that you've been an associate of Mercer for 11 years. Is that correct? And did I get it right? You've been in the CEO position for how many years? Three. Three. So just prior to the pandemic, and then you got a baptism by fire. Uh, So you were the CEO just short of a year prior to, of course, the pandemic hitting, where your world exploded, because I'm sure every client was calling you for advice on work from home and hybrid and compensation and retention. And So I imagine you've been an invaluable partner to your clients, including Franklin Covey, uh, not just in the last couple of years. What has changed about your leadership style. When you think mm. back to three years ago, when you were the CEO pre-pandemic, to now the CEO hopefully post-pandemic, You know, depending upon which television channel he watched, you we're at certain <laughs> levels of post-pandemic life. Let's cross our fingers and get vaccinated. Um, Indeed. What's changed about your leadership style?
1: Well, I didn't have a lot of time to test my CEO style before the pandemic. I was uh, in, enrolled from first of March, 19. We uh, refreshed the brand. and. Clarified the strategy and um, uh, right we are impacted by the pandemic like everybody else, um, I, I'd say agility, if, if there's one change, maybe this realisation that the time they can change on you very quickly. You know, when we were refreshing in, uh, the strategy back in 2019 and thinking we have these, I set out on this 5-year journey it was all completely accelerated, modified and changed. And what I, what I think we learned from them and I learned from them is, is very much this, how, how we can pivot quickly, how this, we have that in us, this resilience, this agility, this bounded optimism, you know, we'll get through this, we see it, we, we may not see where the end is, but we see, that, we see that we're going somewhere and we'll achieve something and we'll get to a, pl- a better place. And it was interesting because the refresh of the brand was, um, uh, you know, all around building brighter futures, uh, blending (laughs) uh, empathy and economics, and it served us so so well during the pandemic. And I think it helped me build that muscle even more strongly that you have to doze the, the two. You run a business at the same time. It's 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 people and, and, and we care about people. We want to make a difference in people's lives. So it starts there and then you blend it with the professionalism, the expertise, the insights, the data, the business. And it's when you blend those and you meet you get those to, to balance out that I think you you get an optimal outcome. And it probably apart from the agility, the second learning is to re to see the force of for the power of, of that of that equilibrium.
0: Okay, thank you for that. I want you to fast forward some number of years and you have at your own volition, decided not to be the CEO of Mercer anymore. And you've moved your family to St. Petersburg, Florida. And you're now teaching at a local community college. And you're teaching an undergraduate class in how to join the C-suite. You're teaching it to 100 undergraduate community college students that are in their 20s, maybe some of them are in their 30s or non-traditional students. What are the key concepts you're teaching members of this community college class on how to make it to the C-suite? What are the, the traits, the talents, the mindsets, the paradigms that you would teach in that course?
1: Mm. Uh, be a lifelong learner. Okay. Um, and you've never done, don't ever think you know, you know it all, you never do, be a, a learner. The power of the team and a diverse team, get challengers around you, um, listen and, and empower people, agree somewhere that we want to go together and then let them figure out the best way to go there. Um, focus on the present and making a difference. I think uh, overthinking the end game, um, you know, I'm not saying some people are not there saying I'd, I'd love to be a CEO, which was not my case. But even if that's that's an ambition, and a stated ambition, I think taking it in chunk and making such a great job in, with what you have in the moment and bringing people along with you. So learning, teams, empathy, um, and, and making a difference in the moment. Let's dig
0: deeper on one of those and then we'll, we'll let you get back to the job of leading Mercer. You talked about building diverse teams and surrounding yourself with challengers. We recently interviewed the CEO of Panera Brands. Uh, which, of course, owns all the Panera restaurants. It owns Einstein bagels, Noah's bagels, Caribou Coffee, uh, Brugger's bagels, large, you know, hundreds of thousands of employees in this organization. And Niren, who was the CEO, was a profound individual. And he mentioned how the culture, the executive culture at Panera Brands is that whenever they're discussing anything at a senior level, they don't finish the meeting until there is a dissenter, until someone <laughs> dissents. Not gratuitously, but they want to make sure that they have challenging points of view. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm guessing this is not a commonality amongst most CEOs because there comes some hubris and a level of confidence. Not a lot of CEOs get feedback on his or her style. It's a way to end a career when you tell the CEO what you think of her or him. Why do you say it's so important to surround yourself with challengers? Why is that so important?
1: Well, at Mercer, we call it fruitful friction uh, and, you know, a constructive way to come in and and challenge the status quo or respectfully break the machine. Uh, I I see that more and more you see the leadership pivot to less hubris, more listening, more Mm -hmm. group uh, conversation that lets that you know, the this, 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 this safe space, this, this liberty to speak up, speak your mind so that we get to a better. I, I think the value of this, and that's the gist of your question, is you just get to a better answer. You get to a better outcome. And sometimes as a CEO, it's our role to take this all in, and there, there'll be conflicting views and, and make a decision, but really open up your mind. And that's what I meant by number one, continue to learn, it's a form of learning. You know, open your mind up to what's coming at you, even though it might be against the grain of it. And you're not this is not how you would have thought of it. Open, you know, open that space for people to find it um, safe to say that. Otherwise, I think you won't be as successful as you should um, as a team, as a company. There's there's a lot of value that will be driven and you'll get a much better decision. You'll, met, you'll get to met a much better outcome if you, if you let that happen. So we, we, um, we talk a lot about that, so fruitful friction. Uh, fruitful
0: fiction, friction. Do you find that some people take that license maybe too far and they fall into being the antagonist or the devil's advocate, or you know they're always gonna take the opposite position. We've all worked with that type of person, well-intended, but sometimes mm-hmm. it becomes their brand and it can be fatiguing. Any advice you would give to that maybe well-intended but accidental friction seeker who yeah. always takes the other point of view? What advice would you give to that person?
1: Yeah, I would say yeah, there, there are two things. One, to operate in that kind of mode is a little bit more tiring yes. than, than having only a yaysayer around you, but I do believe it's worth it. The second thing is, you're right, this could be pushed to... a, a an extent where it's disruptive and not productive yeah. and therefore for me that's why it's fruitful friction it's constructive so you want that person to yeah if they have a, a different view of things or uh, a challenge to put that they come with this not necessarily a, a full-fledged solution but in with with, with a, the right mindset and the 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 agreed outcome alignment on the vision and then, and then the fruit, the, the friction on the way there, um, but in a constructive way. I, I've always said, you know, can, you can say pretty much everything if you say it constructively, respectfully, with a mind to make things better, not just a mind to complain or a mind to, 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 to come across as as, as different. Um, there has to be a purpose behind the intervention.
0: I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Martine Furlan, CEO and president of Mercer. Thanks for investing in all of our listeners and viewers today. We appreciate you. Franklin Covey appreciates you as a provider of services to us. Thanks for joining us on C-Suite Conversations.
1: Thank you, Scott. Appreciate you as a client as well. And uh, thank you everyone.
0: Delighted to add you to our roster. And we'll see you back here next week for a new C-Suite Conversation.